2: Sunday, the day of rest, Sabbath. Although well, some celebrate it on other days, but really every day could be a day of rest, rest from working for mammon. Not just rest and staying in bed all day like a depressed sloth, although well, there are times for that, no doubt. But rest, really, from... anything less than our real, true priorities and meaningful, authentic actions, outer or inner, or subtle. So here in this practice, I think we're embodying very well this principle of Sabbath, as my Jewish friends tell me, resting from all works except God's. Yes, just relax and let God do it. Let go and let God, as they say, Yes, how restful in a profound way, not just physically, not just energetically, but also emotionally, spiritually, etc. So we've been practicing, chanting the mantra. Of the Buddha of Love and Compassion, Kuan Yin, and Rezi in foreign language names, the Buddha of Love and Compassion in English. And cultivating the loving kindness, compassion, joy, equal to all, equanimity, practice, the four Brahma Viharas, the divine abodes, how the gods roll in Hindu cosmology, Buddhist history, and cosmology. And in the beginning, we began with a little chanting of lineage prayers and so forth, invoking prayers and blessings and gratitude to those who have come before. We sit in the laps of giants. Gratitude and recognizing that we can't do it alone, that we need each other to make the journey to become enlightened as the Dalai Lama himself says. But the main part of the meditation is the silent, silent-ish, awesome, rarefied, naked awareness practice. Bracketing it with the warm-up and cool-down exercises, the preliminaries, and the sharing of the benefits and merits at the end. But the main practice and what I'm teaching this week, as I mentioned last night, is the view, meditation, and spontaneous action of the great perfections of okay. The view, nothing more to do. Enjoy the view, nothing more to do. Just be. But that's still challenging. So, the meditation of non meditation, beyond meditation, unmeditation, getting used to just being and allowing and letting go, letting come and go. That's the meditation of non meditation, unmeditation, as we call in Tibetan, non meditation practice. Seeing through all dreamlike momentary appearances, phenomena, and noumena or mind stuff. Seeing through the illusion that we need to manipulate or interfere, react, fix, repair, avoid, grab, whatever. Just for now. In life, of course, we might have a little different approach with the same view, a little more interactive activity, of course in life where the rubber really meets the road on the spiritual path. But here, since we're usually so busy, here we're taking a rest from that and from our habitual, reactive character and personality and conditioning. From our, in, in technical talk, karma and kalesha, our conditioning and our obscurations and defilements, karma and kalesha in Buddhist jargon. We can take a rest from that and just be, we can be Buddha. We can see through everything else and just be aware. Aware is Buddha, not some historical figure, not a statue, not a person in front of the room, not even yourself as you currently think of yourself, but your true self, your true nature, your authentic Buddhiness. So in this practice, we assume our Buddha seat and proceed from there. Allowing awareness to recede unhindered, the flow of awareness. Just observing the flotsam and jetsam going by on the stream of consciousness. Just the ripples on the stream. We are the flow. We don't need to get over-involved with picking and choosing, reacting, based on liking and not liking, attraction and aversion, greed and aggression, the two basic Buddhist poisons, that drive our lives and just rest equanimously, detachedly in the view, in clear vision, the first step on the Noble Eightfold Path taught by Buddha, clear vision, clear seeing, right view, they call it in square language. But right seems to be distinct from wrong. No, this is beyond such duality, just clear vision, seeing it as it is, seeing shit as shit, No judgment. Where would we be without shit? We'd be stuck. Seeing shit is shit. Seeing flowers is flowers. Seeing gold is gold, not even adding on whether it's valuable or not. Gold's not ultimately value, just to humans. It's not ultimately precious, just to humans. And not even to all humans. Starving people would rather have food than a gold ingot or ring. Everything's so relative. We talked about this last night. The great teaching of shunyata, or subjectivity. Everything is subjective, as Buddha said. There is no good or bad, but thinking makes it so, as Buddha said. Or maybe that was Shakespeare. It's a universal truth. This isn't just Buddhism, Buddhism, and Buddhism, Shmudism. Who cares about Buddhism? Buddhism. We're seeking something deeper, aren't we? Truth, reality, enlightenment. It's beyond words. The divine life. Not just trying to rearrange the the decks. Deck chairs here on the Titanic as it's sinking. Not just fighting for a better birth on the Titanic, to make a Buddhist pun. Seeing it as it is, not as it ain't. That's the first Step on the Eightfold Path, clear vision. So, this practice helps us clear our sights, clear our vision, clear the schmutz and kaka off the windscreen of our eyes, clear the obscurations that veil us, as Buddha called it, obscurations of greed, aggression, ignorance, thinking separate, pride, and jealousy, the four basic obscurations, on our windscreen, on our vision, on our view, on our Buddha mind. That's why my own teacher, my first root guru, the late, great Kalu Rinpoche, the Dalai Lama, the six yogis teacher, Kalu Rinpoche, always used to quote, where all Buddhas by nature, it's only temporary obscurations that veil that fact quoting from the Hevadra Tantra, one of the great tantric or non-dual scriptures of Buddhism. Hevadra, the laughing Dorje, the laughing thunderbolt. What a great name. Of course he was laughing with joy and delight with this kind of vision. Everything is it. Everything is perfect as it is. We're all Buddhas by nature, not Buddhists, God forbid. Buddhas by nature, we don't have to recognize who and what we are. That's the pointing out instruction. That's the non-dual teachings. That's the direct access to enlightenment now of the penthouse teachings of Vajrayana and Tantra. That's the beginning of the non-dual portal or access of Mahamudra and Dzogchen. Buddha now, one-step enlightenment. Pre-enlightened enlightenment. Our Buddha nature, uncorruptible from the beginning. Original goodness to talk English, not original sin. The garden is the bit for it came first. The sin was second. The fall. Buddha nature is the garden, the original goodness within. Trungpa Rinpoche called it basic goodness in his translations. The great Buddhist pioneer, Trungpa, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, founder of Naropa University and Shambhala centers. The Dalai Lama calls it the good heart. It's original goodness, our true nature, underneath it all, underneath our defense mechanisms, our character, armor, developed due to the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, a scar tissue of experience. The inner child, the little Buddha, the baby Krishna, the baby Jesus in there, underneath it all, just dying to... Stand up, laugh, dance, and sing at any age. So this practice is based on this understanding, this view. Nothing more to do but enjoy the view. There's many translations of this. They're all a little partial. Rest in the view. Preserve the view. Maintain the view. Cultivate the view. That's a little effortful, but not too bad. It's a little effortful abide by the view, rely on the view. I like the American translation, keep your eyes peeled. That says it all, then you won't miss much. If that's too colloquial for you, I know many of you are high-minded theologians. Let's remember what our first American philosopher, Ralph Waldo Emerson, talked about from his great Maine seminal, mystical experience where he said he felt like a transparent eyeball. God's transparent eyeball. Now that's talking. No wonder why the entire transcendentalist movement stems from that experience. Transparent eyeball. Divine eyeball. No God up there, like the mystics say, like Meister Eckhart said, the great... Christian mystic of Europe, the eye through which I see God is the eye through which he sees me. That's non-dual mysticism, beyond isms and schisms. Transparent eyeball. So that's the view, and that's the first step on the AFO Path, the practical, clear view, right view, clear view, seeing things as they are, not as they ain't, clear seeing, clear vision. So we're practicing clearing our vision, undoing the habit of overdoing, Purifying, if you like, we're seeing through the delusions, the obscurations covering our inner sunlight, our Buddha nature. The ever-rising sun of innate ness, as Trungpa called it, the ever-rising eastern sun of Rigpa. No sunset, always rising. As we know, sunrise is just relative to the earth turning. The sun doesn't rise or set, the earth turns away and towards, that's us. But the inner light, that's always there. But check it out. This is not a tradition of belief, but of experience and confirmation and realization for oneself. Conviction, developing conviction, not just belief. In Buddhism, there's nothing to believe or convert to everything to explore and discover and confirm or realize, recognize for oneself. Like growing up, and finding out who we are, our identity, not having a constant identity crisis from the age of 10 to 50. Of course, the crisis is an important part of it, but seekers must become finders, friends, not just pilgrims romantically walking down the yellow brick road together singing like like children. One day, seekers become finders. That's the gospel of Dharma, of transformative spirituality that we're all Buddhas by nature. We only have to recognize who and what we are. That's the meaning of enlightenment, realization, awakening, satori, as they call it in Zen in Japan, breakthrough, satori, nothing else. Recognizing our true self, our true nature, who and what we are, not our small separate bubble-like self, but our true self, H2O all the way through, just a bubble in the sea, H2O inside, H2O outside, Seeing through separateness. We don't have to slay our ego, get rid of our ego, just see through it. See through the bubble, recognize your seeness, and be free as you are. However small the bubble is, nothing but the sea. As the Zen master sang, like water and ice, same nature, in different temporary states. Buddha and beings, just a different state of consciousness or scope, awareness. My own late mentor, Mentor, Nyosho Kempo Rinpoche, used to say, the only difference between ordinary beings and Buddhas is is the scope of their... Of course, he used the Tibetan word, gongpa, which if I translate it as mind, at least you have to put a capital M on it, not just intellectual, small, linear mind, but it really means Buddha mind, or like Cosmic Consciousness or something. It's the the scope of their, quote, mind, how big. And big is not just about size or quantity. Maha. How great, how inclusive, how deep, how profound, how open, how free, how unobscured and unhindered. So that's what we're working with here. This is the rigpa practice, or Buddha mind practice, direct access, couched in a nice meditation practice. Seems like we're not doing anything. That we're doing nothing, but it's really something, ain't it? This great nothing of Buddha Dharma, the great shunyata, of subjectivity. Things are not what we think they are. We are not who we think we are. That raises some interesting questions. It? Then what? What are we? Who are we? What is real? And so on. But those should be your questions. I've had them too. I'm not going to give answers or, you know, go further into that. You should ask your own questions. We'll get to that. A good question is better than an answer. Good questions unlock the key to the universe. for the questioner. Sooner or later. So just sitting natural body, aware of physical sensations, just breathing, natural breath and energy, aware of breathing in while breathing in, aware of breathing out while breathing out. I know it doesn't sound like much, but there's a lot in it and there's a lot we're not doing, that we're letting go of. Not compulsive, repetitive thinking, not linear research and analysis. We can do that other times, of course not visualizing, not praying for world peace in this particular part of the meditation I'm talking about now, not radiating light, not healing, just sitting, breathing, and awaring the three inner jewels, the three meditators, jewels, the three refuges of the meditator. We can rely on that, rely on the view, just rest in that. Natural body, natural breath, and energy, natural mind. I'm emphasizing that now. Before we go further, don't lose that. That's the main basic instruction. I haven't talked about the eyes. I haven't talked about out breath, posture, a lot of other things, and we'll get to that. This is the view, meditation, and action of the great perfection. The bigger picture, the view. Not opinions or views, but just seeing things as they are. Ultimate reality, which no one's going to tell you what it is. It's more intuitive, experiential, holistic than that. To view. Nothing more to do. Enjoy the view. Rely on the view. Rest in the view. Which naturally leads to the meditation of non-meditation, of just getting used to resting in the view and allowing, an openness and awareness to proceed unhindered, beyond attraction and aversion, etc., judgment and reactivity. The meditation and non-meditation of just being aware, which naturally leads to spontaneous, proactive, egoless Buddha activity, as needed, not compulsive, egocentric, rea- karmic reactivity, as wanted and driven by one's own conditioning. The view meditation, action, and result of the great perfection. So I could go on. I'll make one more point since Christopher Coriat, my assistant teacher here, has put up such a wonderful chart. He's good at this. I wish I could print. Actually, I can print. I can even write. A skill I hear is gone among some places. Buddhism is usually explained from the ground up. Christopher, could you squeeze this in on the left while maintaining this view, or could you use the white pad? You know what I want. From the ground up, ethics leading to meditation, leading to wisdom. The Eightfold Path, the three enlightenment trainings from the ground up. First, getting straight, ethics, moral conduct. If we're not straight, if we're always looking over our shoulder, if we're always wondering who we told what and what lies, we have to remember to tell who. How can we concentrate and focus in here and now? So if we're intoxicated, how can we focus on the here and now? And so forth. So ethics... leading to concentration, mindfulness practice, focus, awareness practice, which then leads to development of insight and wisdom, selfless wisdom and love. This is the three trainings taught by Buddha, the three liberating trainings, the three higher trainings, the three enlightenment trainings, Buddha called it. If you break these out, you get the Eightfold Path, two or three parts of each. And you can read about this in Awakening the Buddha Within, Eight Steps to Enlightenment, my a classic book on this subject, The Eightfold Path, Awakening the Buddha Within, Eight Steps to Enlightenment, one chapter on each of the Eightfold Path. But Zogchen is called swooping down from above, starting from the bigger picture of leaving things as they are, seeing it as it is. That's why it's called a more advanced teaching, a mystical teaching, a universal teaching, beyond Buddhism, as many would say, predating Buddhism, swooping down from above. From the view of things left just as they are, perfect as they are, in my words, already perfectly at rest, a lawful unfolding, comes the meditation of non-meditation, of getting used to it, getting used to leaving it as it is, to allowing non-attachment, etc. Not just meditation as one more project, or mental calisthenics, or trying to get your mind in a certain position or your consciousness a certain way and then hold it there that's more like a trance or fixation this is a more free-flowing integratable with every aspect of life non-meditation not about crossing our legs or closing our eyes but carrying this view in every action in life wherever we are co-meditating with everything to quote the great master, the dragon master Druk-Shen Rinpoche Everything must be meditated, or everything can be meditated. That doesn't mean closing your eyes when you're in the middle of a discussion with your wife or at a meeting. But the awareness component, that's the key, not the eyes, not the legs. So very integratable with daily life, leaving it as it is. Everything can be meditated, co-meditating with everything. Everything is grist for the mill, as Ram Dass called it in one of his books. And that leads third to the action, view meditation and action, proactive Buddha activity, spontaneous proactive Buddha activity as needed. Not conditioned, reactive, karmic activity as wanted or compulsively driven. Action like the ocean's waves. If there's wind, there's waves. If there's no wind, the ocean doesn't get bored and decide to start waving. If it's cold, there might be icebergs. No cold, no icebergs. The ocean doesn't have a cold raising campaign because it's bored and wants icebergs. So like the ocean's waves, if there's karmic conditions, if there are beings in need, then activity, compassion naturally flows. The inner sun of wisdom, the natural rays, outflow of compassion. The inner ever-rising sun of wisdom awareness naturally reaches out, radiates, warms, as needed, if there are beings who are hungry, cold, in need, needed healing, need any form of assistance, help. So Zhou Chen swooping down from above with the view. So, of course, this is based in Buddhism, the Eightfold Path, the Four Noble Truths, which is the Eightfold Path here, and the Three Trainings, but with a slightly different emphasis. So this is considered advanced meditation or sort of essential lies meditation, not a very gradual path like the Eightfold Path leading up to enlightenment. After many lifetimes, many would say, this is more like one-step enlightenment, enlightenment now based on our uncorruptible, pure spirit, our innate Buddha nature, not developing over many lifetimes a big bank of goodness. Of course, we work from both directions at once, just like in life, sometimes from the inside out, sometimes from the outside in, just like in life, sometimes alone, sometimes with others, just like in life. So we call it sweeping down from above with the view, the bigger picture, The eagle's eye view, swooping down from above with the view, while climbing up from below, as if the path is a mountain path. This is just an image. While climbing up from below through relative practices, conventional spiritual practices and good good deeds, mind training and attitude transformation, etc. Climbing up from below through relative practices, according to our inclinations and aspirations. Swooping while climbing the bodhisattva path, or bodhicitta, the relative bodhicitta of goodness and spiritual development and great efforts to liberate suffering of all, while maintaining the bigger picture that's beyond such concepts and ideas. So it's a great balance or answer to burnout, for example, like the social activist bodhisattvas who burn out because there's always more suffering they're caught in that illusion that there's always more suffering, so that suffering seems endless. No matter how much they do and accomplish to alleviate the suffering of beings, it might seem endless. So this absolute view, this bigger perspective, helps, can help a lot. Help us be much more centered, resilient, in touch with the inexhaustible source, not just pouring out our pitcher, however big, and then feeling empty in touch with the inexhaustible source, ever-replenishing inexhaustible source. So zokchen is sometimes called the luminous great perfection or the natural great perfection, the ultimate consummation. My own lama like to call it the clear light path, or even more amusingly, Nir De pa the swift, comfy path of innate, great perfection, swift and comfy. I like that. I mean, who has time? <laughs> not to mention, when he means comfy, he's talking about not, no austerities. If you think back in India and the old world and in the religious world, think about the austerities people underwent and still do undergo to make spiritual progress. This is not a path of austerity. This is a path of... Tantric integration, everything is part of it. Swift and comfy. Of course, you have to read the little fine print on the bottle. You know, like when it says enlightenment now or enlightenment in this lifetime, the fine print says, with great diligence, with assiduous practice, which comes down to maintaining the view not counting prayers, vows, and mantras, especially. So any questions, please, especially about our practice here? I could talk all day, but this question is very important to us. I find very useful. Oh, good. Everything's clear. I love it. Hi. Hi. Um-
3: Thinking about compassion, I realized that maybe I don't really know what I'm doing. Mm. Um, That I have a certain idea that being compassionate is going to feel a certain way. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when I try to apply that, I find that I'm still just judging people. And if I try to forgive them or myself, then that just feels like making excuses. um, And it doesn't feel like i actually being compassionate. What are your thoughts on that?
2: You were absolved, say, a <laughs> hundred <laughs> Omani Pebbi-Hungs and sin no more. I mean, that sounds like a confession, and we could all relate to it. So, sin no more. I heard a lot of sins in there. Not, not that that's a Buddhist word that we care about, but for amusement point, thinking a lot about what does compassion mean and ideas of how it should feel. So, here... While we're practicing together, we have a week, and I invited you to, um, what did I say, draft on my wake. I forget what I said. Participate, in my med- co-meditate with me, whatever. Why don't you just follow along with the instructions and forget about compassion and what it means and forgiveness and um, how it should feel and just notice the feelings and thoughts, et cetera, come and go. Fair enough. Can you imagine that? That's what the instructions are intent upon. Now, of course, compassion has been mentioned. It's very important. It's a universal, it's a key part of Buddhism. Buddhism, you know, Buddha is sometimes known as the enlightened teacher, sometimes as the compassionate Buddha. You know, it's obviously important, of major importance, of great importance. That's not our emphasis here today. Every Christian, every Jew, every humanist, you know, everybody talks about that. George you know, W. Bush talked about compassion. You know, it's become a bit of a buzzword. So we're not studying that here. We're studying Dzogchen, view, meditation, and action, which I think is a little unusual. If we could get into studying and practicing and researching and developing, exploring that, it might be uh, very interesting. Anyway, that's what I'm interested in presenting. And I hope that you know, are interested in practicing. And from that, of course, compassion is included. Right now, more like the wisdom or the awareness pot is on the front burner and the compassion pot is on the back burner. But as I said before, just quoting my own lineage teachers, it's like the inner sun of awareness rising and its raised of compassion and action naturally reach out or spread as needed, not as driven and wanted because we compulsively need to feel like a do-gooder so we can feel better. A lot of ego in that. Of course, since you asked a sincere question about an important subjects and compassion, I mentioned empathy is the root of compassion, feeling with other. When you feel with them, you're more identified, you know, more maybe moved to participate or to help or closer to, you know, Intimacy, treating them as you would be treated, or whatever. There's a lot to say about compassion and cultivating compassion and ways of doing that. And a lot of it's in that... omani oh, Mani Padmi for Brahma Vihara's Loving Kindness and Compassion practice that we do just briefly in homeopathic doses at the end of these sessions. Just to balance it, to open our hearts, not just awaken our minds. Okay. So I hope if you can follow the instructions and see what you get out of it and, you know, and you keep asking your real questions, no problem that. Are you an experienced practitioner of this kind of things?
3: Uh, yeah, actually, I, I have been on this retreat before, but uh, several years ago. So a little, a little out of practice.
2: So. so you know what it's all about. But knowing may not be enough. They don't tell us that in school, but, you know, I mean, I, I know now there's emotional intelligence and other things, not just the IQ, but still most of our schooling is conducive to our mind and the left side of our brain. So it's good to round it out and go deeper. Hi, John.
1: Hi, Saria. One of the uh, instructions you've given is uh, or <clears throat> uh, in, in meditation, things arising and disappearing on their own. Yet, on the other hand, there's interdependent origination. And I've been dealing with that for a couple of years. And it seems to me that that's been a breakthrough for me in getting more into my experience. That the the experience is that things arise and disappear. The concept comes when you try to explain it, and and that's valid. That's part of our everyday life that we have to deal with. And it occurred to me that that's that's really distinguishing between the two, is the Ruchenne that you talked more about in Canandaigua, deciding which is which, uh, not getting caught up in the story, the concepts. And something that just recently came to mind was I, I got a new TV lately and as we were dealing with trying to get the picture and so on. It's awfully hard not to get tied up with the channel that you've tuned into. And I think that's life, you you, you get carried away. Uh, And I guess my question is, um, how am I doing and (laughs) what next?
2: I think we should ask your wife.
1: She doesn't really know. She thinks I'm okay.
2: Well, She doesn't
1: know. Thank God. She thinks I'm okay.
2: Yeah, thank God for that. I think you're okay. I don't know how you're doing, but maybe you don't have to know. It's good to evaluate sometimes, but not go overboard. I mean, you've been coming for a long time, and you do other things in your spiritual life, and also you had a beautiful career as a pediatrician and family life, so you know, you don't need me to approve or any confirm or value, do you? Anyway, I'm not going to, but I think that that's, you know, that's a matter of you and your conscience. But as far as your practice goes, I think that obviously you're developing and instead of putting things as, is it this or that, you included both sides, the empty side and the interdependent origination, the causative, the karmic side. So that sounds good, like a good application of Buddha's middle way. Not get overly caught up in the one channel that we're stuck on. You know, it's like our state of consciousness is like that channel or trance that we're always seeing everything through. At the same time, dealing with things in a practical way as they come up and and pass. So that sounds good. And to pass the buck, and also partly to answer our young friend over there who just asked a good question also about, you know, knowing what compassion is and understanding. And Lao Tzu in the Tao Te Ching, perhaps the greatest wise book ever written, Lao Tzu says, you can't know it, but you can be it at one in your life. So that's the limits of knowledge, conceptual knowledge. You can be it. Like, who can define truth, love, God? The important things are beyond the ordinary conceptual mind or intellect to know. So back to Lao Tzu. 2,500 years ago, the great Taoist master, you can't know it, but you can be it. You can't know the Tao, but you can be the Tao. You can be it, whatever you call it. If I put the word in God there, it gets a little tricky, but why not, or Buddha? You can't know Buddha, but you can be Buddha at one in your own life, one with your own life. That's not about intellectual knowledge. The word know there should have a big capital K, like gnosis, intuitive or even direct knowledge, realization, not just knowledge, information. So since you're still here, I think you're doing fine. You seem to be doing fine. If your wife thinks you're doing fine, then, you know, who am I to judge? Do you have more of a question?
1: No, I I think you, you answered it. It sounded like you weren't answering it, but I heard what you're saying.
2: You've also come to advanced retreats, so you know, you know, we can talk about more like... Trusting in the view and, you know, being Kunta Zampo, like primordial Buddha, not just developmental, one day enlightened Buddha mm. later. and the, the, the very long journey from here to truly here, not just from here to there. Getting better incrementally every day. So I think that the old wine is in the bottle. It just gets better every year. You don't need to keep stirring it, heading, and shaking it.
1: Oh my goodness, we shouldn't be drinking at all?
2: (laughs) I don't know, you're the doctor. (laughs) (laughs) We shouldn't be stirring and shaking it. Drinking might be called for sometimes, middle way. Thank you. It's nice to see you guys.
3: Hi. Hi. Um, After like about a 10-year period of like very intense searching, I, uh, I had some experiences that were, I hadn't read Zogchen at that point, but when I read it afterwards, like immersion in the view, let's say, and they were great. I mean, they were definitely what I was looking for, I guess you could say. But they were terrifying at the same time. I mean, it felt like, I was being annihilated during those experiences. And, um, this is, this, it's been really hard to like live after that. (laughs) Like I was very successful before that in a lot of ways. And, um, (laughs) they were almost traumatic. I don't know what else to say. And I I just like, I feel myself go back to that place lately. And it's like, it's almost too much. Like, I feel like I'm going to go insane and, um, just like, I don't exist. Like, just seeing that Tim was like a complete illusion has been, I'm Tim, <laughs> by the way. It's been very hard. Um, I, don't, I don't really have a question, but I, maybe just some comments on, you know, part of this is really challenging to, to integrate that view because it's so non-ordinary. And, you know, everything I used to be a self, I used to use to make decisions, it, it just feels like it all got basically destroyed.
2: So, how are you doing now, Tim?
3: Right now, um, I feel a little emotion talking about it.
2: Well, you're on the spot, talking in front of everybody, etc. But um, how are you feeling now? These, like, today, this week, well, these days? Are you functioning? Are you about to go insane? Are you? really asking a spiritual question or you're hanging on you know, to your s- sanity for your life? Did somebody drive I, you here? No, I'm,
3: I'm able to function. I mean, I, I'm, I used to be so high functioning that like maybe like, I mean, I can take care of myself, but it's more an internal thing. Like the night before mm-hmm. I came here, I was sitting in my room and that feeling of, I don't even, there's no words to describe it. You know, like, like just this, Vibration.
2: I know that feeling.
3: And it starts to come over me. And then I I was in my parents' house because they live in New York. So I stayed there. And I I thought I was just going to start screaming, start start raving mad. And I just breathe, breathe. And then an hour or two later, I was normal again. But it's scary. It's really scary. And I don't feel like I have a choice anymore. Something's happened that it's an unstoppable process. Mm Mm-hmm. I can't go back even if I wanted to. I, I right. definitely have a deep sense of that. I'm scared, though. I don't know where it leads. I don't know what to... And like you said, you can't really do anything, so... You sound
2: very sane. <laughs> sounds very, you know... Um, I don't know. I don't want to cheap it in any way by talking about it. And any talk sort of does. But it sounds good. It sounds familiar. I know what you're talking about. It sounds very sane. So... um you said, I mean, allegedly you were striving hard for 10 years on spiritual path. So, and then you had like, a, what was your word? A breakthrough, a breakdown, an awakening. I think I called it an, an emmer- epiphany. immersion, immersion an, in the view. An emer- immersion, you yeah. were, immer- so I would call it like an epiphany or a breakthrough, or, but immersion is fine. So um, what precip, if anything precipitated that, do you know?
3: hesitant to say so but it was the ingestion of a psychedelic substance um ayahuasca and i'm not at all encouraging that i mean i didn't want to say but since you asked and you know i definitely feel like maybe that type of substance gives people experiences they're not ready for and that's what happened to me but i didn't go to that plant for a party i went for enlightenment i mean that was my purpose mm-hmm. yes. i had heard of it right. and i that was my intention and it was answered and in mm-hmm. a way mm-hmm. that Was just too strong.
2: Yeah. Maybe that's a problem with um, drug induced epiphanies, but they're too sudden. But um, so, did you get support then or after since you went for it? Were you with people who were used to taking it or shaman, you know, elder masters or anybody to talk to to get a context for the vast empty selflessness that you experienced? So you can realize like the supreme self, not, you know, having bust, burst the bubble of small ego self, that you're not just all of a sudden in a desert, that you're actually just in the ocean where you always were. And also that the bubble coagulates again pretty quick since you're still, you know, after that trip, walking and talking and timming along, yeah. <laughs> not even that, taking care of yourself, you said you claimed.
3: Well, I don't feel the support I needed was there at all. Did you talk
2: to anybody? Have you asked anybody since then?
3: I have talked to many, many people, but... That could be
2: a mistake. I'll be more specific. Did you talk to any, again, elder, psychiatrist, therapist, spiritual teacher, self, you know, expert on self and no self, you know, that field, it's a field. Elder is the word. No. wise elder no Well, okay so now we're talking this is important to talk about and get a context because it's terrifying to face the void and as meditators know most of us as soon as the ego starts to relinquish its grasp and reference points and story and selfing and crazy gluing it all together it's like all of a sudden there's no gravity and everything is like Just floating in deep space. There's no gravity. There's nothing to pull it all down together to to Earth. There's no Earth. So then what? So maybe that's the transpersonal being. That's like the Supreme Self with a capital S. I know these are just concepts, but that's not the end. That's what mystics call ruination, ruination of the worldly small self. But Return to the supreme being. All of these words are very limiting. You with me?
3: I'm with you. Yeah. Like
2: when the bubble bursts, it bursts nowhere but in the sea that it's always been. And also because of our habit, our conditioning, our, you know, we're also, it seems you have a stable mind, what do you call it? You know, stable personality and psyche. You kind of, coagulated again into like functioning even though now you've got a huge doubt and i would call it a spiritual doubt not a crazy making doubt a spiritual doubt thus the zen saying small doubt brings small enlightenment great doubt brings great enlightenment it's a classic saying
3: Look, can i say something about that that was um and i i, I don't I don't use that plant anymore, but the experiences continue. It seemed to be a catalyst. Uh, the hardest part was all my spirituality was basically taken away from me. It was just like, oh, that's all a game. You know, you've just been playing this long ego game with yourself. And that was devastating. You know, yeah, like that's I, tough. It was devastating. Like all your beliefs right. are not true. Yeah, that's you know? a tough
2: truth to face. It was hard. But necessary at some point. Thus swooping while climbing, so you don't have a crash landing. You know, like not just skiing straight down the slope. Because of some idea that it's better or faster, and then you can't stop or you run into the larger top speed or off the mountain. So a little zigzagging, or whatever. So swooping while climbing is keeping things in balance. The absolute, the sheer, rarefied, terrifying voidness of it all that it is all just games, it's all just ego, everything is nothing. And the other side, that life is miraculous, everyday babies are being born, you know, love is being spawned, life is miraculous, that's the other side. And you can't deny that. And it makes a difference whether you kiss the children before they go to school or kick them on the relative side. Of the relative reality where babies are being born and life goes on, and every day is a new day. And life is beautiful as well as tragic and difficult. So um, I'd like to see you more private. Come, you know, just sign up for a private interview and we'll talk more uh, personally, unless you're not okay now.
3: No, I'm okay. okay.
2: So can you be with the practice like today and tomorrow we start the private interviews? Definitely. And go into the great void. Now I'm using my language. Can you face the great void where it's very true that everything, not just everything you were doing, everything we've all been doing is a game and whatever else you said is empty, meaningless, leading nowhere? Can you face, can you, can you press your nose up against that, you know, and not recoil out of fear? Can you face the fear and hang in there and Keep your eyes peeled, see what's next. Can you do that? Or do you want to back off a little and chant uh, loving kindness and like relax a little? This is a serious question because I'm not trying to push you over the edge into a, a break, a, psych, a psychotic break.
3: Um, no, I, I have to push my nose. I, I don't really have a choice, so that's fine.
2: Good. Again, the mystics call it ruination. And then they say, you know, God is not found in the mountaintops, as the young pilgrims think. God is found in the ashes. And you have to arise, you know, and the spirit arises like a phoenix from ashes. The phoenix doesn't live on the mountaintop. The bald eagle lives up there and looks good. You know what I'm saying? You have to go through that. It's called the dark night of the soul. It's called the great gate avoidness is called a lot of things but you have a good experience with that why don't you see if you can like rest in that view and that open and without past or future and no hope of getting back to your previous whatever which you already had enough of anyway but no hope of going back to that and just incandescently present listen to my words they're carefully chosen they're not random they're often the same Incandescent presence, luminous, senseless openness, nowness is the Buddha within. Are you with me? Keep your eyes peeled. Trust in that view and just abide in it and rest in it. And notice the fear come and fear will go also. Everything goes. Everything goes. Everything changes. Everything's impermanent. Okay? Thank you.